I had a nightmare last night. I dreamt that I missed preaching at both services this morning, and then I tossed a huge salad in front of you all. <laughs> so I'm really hoping this is not a dream, and you are here and I am here, because I love the passage that we're talking about this morning, and I'm so excited about what God has to teach us from it. But as my husband John reminded me, John Crosby, or John Ortberg wrote a whole book about this passage, and I only have 25 minutes, so better get to it. Two years ago, I was sitting in my seat on an airplane here, waiting to take off to go to Chicago. And as I was sitting there, the pilot came on over the PA, and he said, um, ladies and gentlemen, those of you sitting on the left-hand side of the plane, if you've looked out the window, you may have noticed uh, part of the wing is missing. <laughs> but we know about it. I was like, what? This man who says he's the pilot came on, and this man who says he's the pilot, who, who's safety record I don't know, whose credentials I don't know, he says that a major part of our plane is missing, but don't worry about it because they've got it covered. You can't make this stuff up, right? <laughs> Have you ever been in a situation where you've taken a step, you've gotten on an airplane, or you've applied for a job, or you've made a move, or you've stepped out and done something, and you felt like you were a little out of control, like your life was in someone else's hands? When I was on that plane, and every time, basically, that I get on a plane, I felt like I was a little out of control. And it made me think of the disciples in our passage of Scripture today. I think it, they may have felt out of control with Jesus all the time. Like, what the heck is he doing now, right? But I think, in particular, our passage today, they probably felt very out of control. Now, we are going to be looking at Matthew 14, 22 to 33. And if you have a Bible, I'd really encourage you to turn to this. If you want to take the Pew Bibles, it's on page 1459. And as you do that, uh, we're going to be going through verse by verse of eventually. But as you're looking for that, I want to give you a little bit of the context here. This passage comes right after Jesus has fed the 5,000. It has been a very busy time. Jesus and the disciples have been doing ministry around the Sea of Galilee. You can see some pictures up here on the screen. And Jesus has been healing and teaching and reaching out. It's super busy time. Mark's gospel says this. So many people were coming and going that they didn't even have time to eat. Now, if you're a mother of a toddler, you get this, right? They were busy. They were tired and depleted. Now, this is a really familiar passage, so I'm going to ask you a favor. As I read through it, I'm going to ask you to try to live into this. I'm going to ask you to try to put yourself on the Sea of Galilee. I'm going to ask you to try to think about if there's one of the people, the characters, or the groups of people that you identify with. So, it says in verse 22, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, 
buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? When they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. So, who do you identify with most? The disciples feeling tired and maybe battered by the waves? Do you identify with Peter, bold and courageous, stepping out? Or do you identify with the sinking Peter, taking his eyes off of Jesus, maybe feeling like a failure? Or maybe you identify with the disciples in the boat, watching from a distance, kind of an observer, not really with the courage to step out. Let's unpack this verse by verse. First of all, Matthew 14, 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Now, John's version says, Jesus, knowing they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Jesus, we see, has this pattern of engagement and retreat, engagement and retreat. And maybe Jesus knew that everybody needed just a little time out, time to step back from all the busyness, like we all do, time to remember who they were and whose they were and who was ultimately in charge of their life. Later that night, he, Jesus, was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Now, Mark's version says that the disciples were straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Okay, have any of you ever seen this saying on a bumper sticker or a t-shirt? The safest place to be is in the will of God. Safest place to be is in the will of God. That sounds really good, and, and I believe it's true. But when you think about that, what do you think of? When I think about the safest place, I think about comfort. I think about predictability. I think about security. But look again at verse 22. It says, Jesus made the disciples go ahead of him. That means it was his will, right? He made them, so it's got to be his will. Now, Jesus was completely human and completely, completely God, right? As completely divine, he knew the beginning from the end. He knew that he was sending them into a storm. Why? Why would he make them go ahead if he knew that they were going into a storm? Maybe, just maybe, God's will, just because something is hard, doesn't mean that it's not God's will. 
Just because something is hard, maybe, doesn't mean that it's not God's will. Could it be that Jesus sent them ahead knowing they were going into a storm, knowing that he wanted to use this storm to refine them, to remind them of who he was in their lives? Maybe this is you, one of the disciples in the boat feeling tired and battered, like the wind is against you. I know this feeling of straining at the oars. I felt out of control when I was on that airplane. I feel out of control every time I fly. I felt out of control when our daughter got sick when she was living in the slums in Nairobi and I was thousands of miles away and couldn't do anything about it. I felt out of control last year when my brother died of cancer. 30 years ago, I felt out of control. John and I were living in a suburb of Chicago and had prayed and prayed and determined that it was God's will for us to move to Washington, D.C. So we moved for the first time away from friends and family and home We had a 19-month-old little girl, and I went eight months pregnant with our second. And we moved to a place where we knew no one, where it was the highest cost of living in the nation, where we were buying a home for the first time, where we were like fish out of water. And the whole time that we lived there, I prayed that God would change the circumstances, that something would get better. And the whole time we lived there, nothing changed. But... God was faithful, and God knit us together as a family, and God taught us to depend on him. Sometimes God delivers us from our circumstances, but sometimes God delivers us through them. God didn't deliver us from the circumstances while we lived there, but he delivered us through them. Now, we may make dumb choices, bad decisions that put us into storms, where we need to learn a lesson, but I really believe that sometimes we are making good decisions, we're in God's will, and he allows us into a storm to use it in our lives, to teach us something. So, what about you? Can you think of a place where you're feeling out of control or buffeted by the waves? When Maggie was about two years old, we were walking and it was really windy, and she said, Mommy, the wind struggles me. So where are you feeling struggled by the wind? Maybe you've lost a loved one or lost a relationship or a job. Maybe you felt the sting of betrayal or you've been wounded and you're wondering why God has allowed this in your life. Maybe your marriage feels like a stormy place right now. Or life just feels lonely and dark. God may want to deliver you from those circumstances you're experiencing, but maybe he wants to deliver you through them with you. So the disciples are tired and depleted, and then something unexpected happens. Verse 25 says, Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. Now, Mark's version says Jesus was about to pass them by, like he was just strolling along on the water. Hey, guys. And he stopped because they cried out. Now, could it be that God wants us to cry out to him? Not necessarily even in faith. The disciples cried out in fear, and we can too. Maybe God is waiting for us to cry out to him. Verse 27 says, But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage. It is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, 
he said. Now maybe this is you, like Peter, impulsive and bold and wanting to experience everything. Think about this. Peter had enough faith to step out on one word from Jesus. Come. So we can respond to God's word or we can react to the waves. Maybe we need to ask, which is going to have more power in my life, the word or the wave? Yeah, we do. We look at the waves. We look at the circumstances in our lives. But then we can look beyond that to God's word, what God says. The Gospel of John, it says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The word spoke everything into being. In the beginning, God said, let there be light, and there was light. If we have the power of God's word, what do we have to worry about? But often, I think we walk around, we stand around, and we say, you know, Lord, speak to me. Tell me what to do. And we expect maybe something mystical. I've never heard God speak audibly. I believe that I need to remember and we need to remember that if we want to get a word from God, we need to get into the word of God. If we want a word from God, we need to get into the word of God to hear from him. When Peter was walking on that word come, he was fine. But when he took his eyes off of Jesus, he starts to sink. Verse 29 says, Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. So maybe you're the sinking Peter. Taking your eyes off of Jesus, maybe feeling a little bit like a failure. If this is you, I'm wondering if maybe you could ask, what things have shifted your focus from all that God is to all that you're not? This is one I need to remember a lot. What shifts our focus from all that God is to all that you're not? What waves are you focusing on? Now, a lot of people point out that Peter sinks when he takes his eyes off of Jesus and looks at the wave. Absolutely, really good, valid point. But I think this passage is about more than just Peter's faith. It is about God's greater grace. What did Jesus do when Peter took his eyes off of him? Did he hold Peter down and say, well, take that, that'll teach you, you want you to learn a lesson? No, he reached out. This isn't just about Peter who walked on water and sunk and Jesus who reached down with his greater grace. It's about Jesus reaching down to Peter, to you, and to me. On my plane last fall, or two falls ago, my hope couldn't be in our defective plane, but instead I had to trust the pilot and God. Our hope isn't in our boat or in our own efforts to muster up enough faith, but our hope is in the one who made the wind and the waves. But when you and I, like the disciples, get tired and weary and the waves are big, we can lose perspective. In the darkest season of my life, I felt engulfed by the waves. I felt like I couldn't see, and I, ha I knew I had to try to lift my head and focus on Jesus. And our friend Mark Batterson taught me that I needed to stop talking to God about my waves and start talking to my waves about my God. 
We need to remind the waves in our life that God will never leave us or forsake us. We need to remember that he has designed good plans in advance for us to do. We need to remember that we can do all things through God who strengthens us and that if God is for us, who can be against us? And most of all, that nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God. We need to preach the power of God, the promises of God, the love of God to our waves. Verse 31 says, Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith. Why did you doubt? Another version says, Faint heart, what got into you? Now, I love it that uh, John Ortberg notes that Jesus said this to Peter while they were still out there on the water. He says, it may be that Jesus, like any good mentor, did not want to embarrass Peter in front of the other disciples. Peter fell. You will too, I will too, but Jesus will catch us. People call this a story about Peter, but what about John and the other disciples in the boat? I think it is fascinating that John, in his gospel, he, he writes about Jesus walking on the water, but he leaves the Peter part out. Why do you think that is? John wasn't the one out experiencing it, right? He was just an observer. And maybe this is you today. An observer, one of the disciples in the boat, watching Peter and wishing maybe you were brave enough to take a step. So maybe we need to ask ourselves, what's our boat? What is it that is keeping us from trusting God? I love this Bob Goff picture. God invites us on a new adventure every day. If we're observers, we might need to ask, where is God asking me to trust him and step out of the boat and walk on water? I think there may be four things we could pay attention to that may be prompts that God is prompting us to step out of our boat. And the first one is invitation. If you are getting an invitation, Last spring, I received an invitation to go on a trip that was completely underwritten by the Gates Foundation. It was a trip with World Vision. It was an advocacy trip. It was about learning to deal with the political systems and be better advocates for the poor and the marginalized. Well, I'm not a great advocate. I'm not really into politics. It was not going to be a comfortable trip. I did not want to go. But I sensed that God was saying to me, this is an invitation and you need to step out of your boat and just go. And so I did, and I was glad that I did. The second prompt I think we might need to pay attention to is fear. I mentioned that my brother died a year ago. My sister-in-law, Susan, has been so afraid of going back to church by herself. She has been just afraid that she would fall apart. She couldn't handle it emotionally. Finally, about a little over a month ago, she said, Lord, I want to go back. I know I need to do this. I just cannot do it without you. I can't do it. And so she said, literally, she prayed every step of the way. She prayed as she opened the car door. She prayed as she started the ignition. She prayed as she got out of the car. And she'd made it. And she's been going back to church with God's help. Fear prompted her to step out of her boat. A third prompt might be frustration. Our daughter Maggie did an internship in northern Uganda in the middle of nowhere working with a girls' school a couple years ago. And she discovered, the girls told her, that they were missing three to five days of school uh, a month because they, when they had their period, they had no sanitary equipment to deal with it. 
And so they, had, they stayed home. And she was indignant, and she's like, this is wrong. This is frustrating. These girls shouldn't have to miss school. So she mobilized them. She taught them to advocate for themselves, and they wrote notes to try to get donations from companies in Africa. And we, she wrote me, and we mobilized people here to make donations to send over to them. But then she took a step further. She went on YouTube, and she learned how to make reusable pads. And she taught the girls how to sew them themselves and to sell them also. This frustration was the prompt that got her to step out of her boat of comfort. The last one I would suggest is a prompt of loss. You guys remember, who have been around here a long time, you remember Nan and Paul Bertelson, who were here many years ago. They lost their precious little boy, Brett. And when Brett died, Nan could have just curled up in a ball and lived into that grief for the rest of her life. But she didn't. She used that loss to turn her mourning into mission, to prompt her to create ministries to minister to people with special needs. She used that loss to prompt her to step outside her boat. Maybe you'll recognize yourself in one of those. So verse 32 says, And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. This is a part, I think, uh, that we often leave out, the worship part. Again, this is not just a passage about Peter's faith, but about God's greater grace. And when we recognize God's grace, our response is to worship him. Now, there's a lot in this passage, and so before we come to the communion table, I want you to just reflect for a minute. If you are feeling tired and battered, if you're feeling bold, if you're feeling like a failure, sinking, or like an observer, regardless of where you are, Jesus is with you, and he reaches out his hand to you wherever you are. We come to the communion cable because we need Jesus, the Lord of the wind and the waves, and the one who reaches out to us no matter how far down we go and lifts us up.